in two different passages uh, today, uh, the book of Luke, mostly around chapter 4 and 5, and in your Blue Pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's, I think it's 860, and then I'm going to reference 1 Kings 17, uh, much closer to the beginning of the Bible, 1 Kings 17, page 299, if you're using the Blue Pew Bible. I wanted to re-engage our series that we started back in September uh, that's titled Built to Last. And instead of sort of just jumping back in where I left, I thought it would be helpful to review, much like a high school teacher might do after a long Christmas break, to not just pick up where they left off, but to say, "Let's." we might have forgotten some things. So I wanted to review And I wanted to start that review by just recalling the key text, which is in Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. Jesus is at the end of a long teaching that's basically the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends with this picture or this parable. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you? See, there's disciples, they're listening And they're listening enough to say, he's the Lord, he's my Savior, he's the person I'm following. And I don't know if you can believe it, but there are some of those people who don't actually do what he says. Can you imagine that? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. So like a good teacher, he's he's pulling out this illustration. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Or in the NIV, it's built to last. But the one who hears and doesn't do them is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So that's the, that's the teaching, and that's the visual image for Jesus as he's leading us to this particular point. And I wanted to be a good teacher and give you a visual illustration that we've used before. This is a picture of a house called the Sand Palace. It's, on, it's at the, uh, Gulf of, uh, Mex- or the Gulf of Florida on a beach called Mexico Beach. And when these owners built this house... They wanted to make sure it would withstand every hurricane. So they put in the deepest pilings. They, they put in the, the, the strongest steel construction. It doubled the price of the house. So it was not, not free to do. But here's what they said. We know hurricanes happen. So we intended to build a house that will survive. Isn't that a great quote? That's a quote we can use. In our life, we know we know hurricanes happen. Now, if you ask Nancy, she would say one of Paul's failings, and there are many, would be that he always thinks hurricanes are odd. Like, why does this happen? Why does this happen? And it's so tiring for her because she's like, hurricanes happen. Hurricanes happen. So you just have to know that, and then you have to say, because hurricanes happen, I've got to build something. And it might cost me more than I'm anticipating, But when the hurricanes happen, I want to make sure 
that I'm still standing. And in 2018, Hurricane Michael made landfall here at Mexico Beach at 155 miles an hour. And when the storm was all over, guess what was still standing? Sand Palace. Because they hadn't built their house on the sand. This is the picture I want us to have in our mind as we review. And I'm going to give us four points of review as we get back into the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll start with that next week. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus calls to himself 12 disciples. Twelve young men. If you remember, they're probably between the ages of about 15 and 24. And he calls them. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he launches into a rather long teaching segment. So it's like he's, he's, he's come out after his 30 years of being a carpenter. He's starting his ministry. And he's identified 12 young men to be his apprentices, to be his disciples. And he says, okay, guys, let's go. And the first thing I want to do is sit down, and I want to teach you a long segment so you know what you're getting yourself into. It's part of sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 5. And then in the end of his teaching, he's, he's asking his disciples to be like this house, this house that's built to last. He's telling them it's going to be costly. But when storms come against your faith, you might be rocked, but you won't be ruined. So everyone here, including myself, we're all constructing a life. We're all building our lives in some form or some fashion. And we're all building our lives on someone's word. It might be God's word. It might be my word might be your word it might be the word of a teacher it might be the word of a professor it might be a word of a parent it might be a word of a ted talk it might be the word of a tiktok video but it's some word and probably sort of an amalgamation of words that you've got flowing together and that's your foundation and so one question that i'm going to have and i'm going to ask different questions and things that you might think about and incorporate in your prayer card. What do you need to do in 2022 to strengthen your foundation on God's word? What do you need to do? Storms have come, in case you haven't noticed. And they're not, we're not at the end. Hurricanes happen. So in 2022, what do you need to do to say, hey, you know what? I've got a lot of other words out here, and I, need to, I just need to limit some of that and make sure my foundation is really on God's word. So here's the four-point review. First of all, the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is a very important book to Jesus. I think it's the book he quoted the most. And the word Deuteronomy means repetition of the law, repetition of the law. So we're just repeating the law. We're remembering. We're keeping it in our mind. And here's how Deuteronomy starts, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. These words shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk about them as you walk along the way and think about them when you lie down and you rise up. So that's the beginning of Deuteronomy. And then the very end, Moses says this to the group. 
after he's repeated the law, see, I have set before you today life and death. Choose life. I've just repeated the law. I've told you what God wants you to do, how he wants you to live. But now you've got to choose. You've got to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to build my house on this foundation. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life that it may go well for you and your children. See, your, your choice isn't just you. It affects the people that are around you. It, it offers protection. Or if you harbor, as uh, Hebrews said, bitterness, bitterness spills out. So faith spills out like an umbrella, covers more than you. Bitterness spills out. Choose life. Choose life. Jesus has grown up with these words echoing in his mind. And the question we have when we find Jesus moving into ministry is when he gets tested, will he trust? Will he choose life? Will he follow, will he remember and follow God's word? And that's the second point, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, since it's a review, I only have time to just point out two things here. First, Jesus faces three temptations, and there's something common to each temptation, and that's how Jesus responds. Each temptation, he repeats the law. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. So you, you get the picture? He's been uh, steeped in this with his parents, going to the synagogue, walking along the way, posted on his house, posted around his... I mean, it's all over Jesus. And now he's out in the wilderness, which is a wilderness we're all going to be in, sometime when we're all just by ourselves and something's coming at us like a flood. And the question is, is are we going to rely on that word when we're tested? And each time Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy, he repeats God's word. He knows that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when he was tested, he was ready. So that calls into question our knowledge of God's word. How does a young man not sin against you? The psalmist says, what's the answer to that? I've hidden your word in my heart. See, I've got it accessible. It's, it's in my heart. I've spent my extra time, not on TikTok or Instagram. I've spent my extra time understanding God's word, relying on God's word, building it up like a storehouse. So when I'm out in my work world or when I'm out in the culture or when I'm with somebody else that's causing me to question, I'm going to be like the... The house, I'm going to stand firm. Second point here in this testing is the first temptation. Jesus turns stone. The temptation is for Jesus to turn stones into bread. Now, this is a powerful temptation. Will Jesus be ruled by God's words or his desires? It's very powerful when you have a driving hunger. It's easy right now to say, well, I'm going to choose God's word. But when I have a driving hunger, when my physical body is saying, I got to have this thing or this person or this object or this food, when it's just roaring like a fire, at that point, 
And I'm ab- am I able to say, I'm not going to follow those desires. I'm going to follow God's word. So again, everyone here is constructing a life. Is your life built on God's word? Or is your life just basically a series of your desires? Here's my desire when I get up in the morning. Here's my desire at 10 a.m. Here's my desire at 12. And I, I basically, my whole life is just sort of a series of desires that I'm trying to fulfill. Third point here, Luke chapter 4. This is in terms of review. Jesus has come out of the temptation, and the first place he goes in Luke is to his hometown, Nazareth. He's going to teach God's word, and he's going to begin looking for people who are going to trust in him. So he's passed this test. It's not the only test, but he's passed sort of this initial uh, test. And now he's going to go out, and he's going to teach the word, and he wants people to be encouraged by it. He wants them to know the truth, but he's also looking for people. People that would say, I hear, and and I'm going to follow. I'm going to be one of those people who trust God's word. And he delivers his sermon, and when it's over, the hometown crowd passes by him at the door, and everybody speaks well of him. So let's just try to imagine. The pastor is at the door, and if you go by, I see some of you sneak off to the right. I, I pray for you. You don't shake my hand. That's all right. But if you come by, what are you going to say? Great, you know, you're not going to say, boy, you could have done better. I mean, nobody says that, right? I mean, because even if you think it, you don't say it right there. Good job. Well, what wonderful. But then what happens for Jesus is they move through that little handshake, and they get in the lobby, and they start murmuring. Again, this is hard for us to imagine, but try to put yourself there. You walk past the preacher, you tell him he did a wonderful job, but then in the car you begin to pick apart a sermon. I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, we, we, I mean, we've known him the whole time. How in the world can he be the Messiah? I mean, he spoke well, but I mean, he, that's not true, is it? And plus, we know he did some miracles back at Capernaum, and I was really hoping he'd put on a show here. I mean, we're his tribe. We're his hometown. We're, we're his people. I mean, if over in Capernaum, he did some miracles. I, I thought for sure today we were just going to get the five-star act by Jesus. And something about this irritates Jesus, rubs him the wrong way. Something about their demandingness puts them in the driver's seat. You hear that? They're, they're putting themselves in the driver's seats. They're, they're setting the terms of their own belief. And I wonder if you've ever done that. Here's how I'm going to believe, Jesus, if you do this. You see what happens there? You, you put yourself in the driver's seat and you say, okay, God, you need to put on a show. And if you put on the right kind of show and I see it and I'm sufficiently amazed, well, then I'm going to believe. And that's what's driving or it's rubbing Jesus the wrong way. To put on a show was a temptation Jesus faced at the beginning of his ministry and all the way through to the end of his ministry. He's hanging on a cross, Matthew 27, people staring at him, and they say this, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe. You hear that? 
Just put on a show, Jesus. And do you think if he had come down, that would have been enough? No. It's just one show after another. Do you see? That puts me in the driver's seat. I'm telling God what to do. And Jesus walks away from people like that. He doesn't respond to people who are trying to to dictate the terms of belief. And he gives two great examples, which we don't have time to discuss both of them, but a poor widow woman and then Naaman. Remember Naaman the leper. 1 Kings 17, the poor widow woman. It's been a three-year famine, and a great prophet who speaks for God named Elisha comes to this woman. And it says this, So he rose, this is chapter 17, verse 10. So Elisha rose and he went to Zarephath. And there he came to the city gate, and behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. So everybody's experiencing this famine, including Elijah. He comes, he sees this woman. He says, can you bring me something to drink? And eventually, can you bring me something to eat? And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, hey, bring me a morsel of bread. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it together and die. See, this, this is, I'm at the end. I have just the tiniest bit left. Me and my son, we're going to share one more meal of some bread and water, and then we're done. We're out. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said. Listen, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And then afterward, make some for yourself and your son. You you feel that test? The first cake I've got to bring to you. What if it's the last cake? Verse 15. And she went and she did as Elisha said. When she had nothing, she trusted in God's word. And here, 800 years later, Jesus picks her out in his sermon and says, hey, everybody, let's look at this poor widow. These are the kinds of people that I'm coming for, not people who are setting the terms. You can imagine this woman saying, you know, look, I don't have anything. I'd be happy to bring you the second cake. You see, I'm setting the terms of what I'm going to do. But no, she, she follows after God's word, and Jesus puts her up on a pedestal and says, these are the kinds of people that I'm looking for. So one more question you think about 2022. Do I trust what Jesus says, or do I hear the words but then pick them apart? And sort of set the terms of my own belief. I mean, these are the parts of the things Jesus says I really like. Those things, they're kind of inconvenient or old school or out of tune or whatever. So I just kind of push those off to the side. That's setting the terms of your own belief. Point number four, our last point, Luke chapter five. We're going to see Peter all the way through Luke. And we get the introduction with him right here in Luke five. Such a great encounter. Jesus invites Peter on a journey. Peter's going to find out it's a journey of surrender. You begin to see it right here. The seeds of surrender begin here in Luke chapter 5. 
And without reading it, but you can, you can just follow along with me. Jesus is teaching beside the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is expanding, and Jesus is experiencing a logistics problem. There's too many people, and they're pressing him up against the Sea of Galilee, which is more like a lake, and he asked Peter for some help. Peter, will you help me solve my logistics problem? It's really a simple request. Will you get in the boat? Will you row out a little ways? And sort of hold the boat steady while I finish my sermon. And what Peter doesn't realize probably is that Jesus is teaching, but he's testing Peter. It's a little test. Jesus is always doing more than one thing at one, at one time. So he's teaching, and here he's testing Peter. Peter, I have a challenge for you. Peter, will you make my challenge your challenge? Or is your challenge more important than my challenge? See, this is the test. Will you drop what you're doing right now in order to respond to what I'm doing? It's not, it's not a glamorous assignment here, you notice. Row a boat, sit behind Jesus. Everybody gets to see and hear Jesus, not Peter. Imagine what Peter could have said. Can't you see I'm busy? I mean, I'm cleaning my nets. Look, I'm tired. I've had a long, frustrating night. He hadn't caught anything. Row, row, row your own boat out. How about that? I mean, there's lots of things you can imagine, Peter, at this moment of frustration, how he might respond, and you would say, I, I understand. And my guess is if this had happened, we might not have heard from Peter again. It's a little test. Instead, Peter surrenders. He does something that's very simple, but I would suggest very difficult. He puts his tiredness and busyness aside for God. What about you? My guess is if we had a little conversation afterwards, more than half of us would say, man, I'm so tired. And then the other half, and some of that half would say, yeah, and I'm so busy. It's just sort of the, the things that sort of naturally come out of us. How are you doing? I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so busy. And I'm not taking that away. I'm just asking, if Jesus intersects your life at some point in 2022, can you put that aside? Then Jesus gives a second invitation of surrender. It's a little bit more difficult. The professional fisherman gives unsolicited advice to the fisherman. <laughs> Jesus, who we don't know who has fished at this point in his life, he's coming up to Peter, who's a professional. His dad used to be a fisherman. So he knows all about fishing. And he gives Peter this advice, hey, let's put out in the deep water, which is what you don't do in the middle of the day, and maybe we can get a catch. It's not a complex request, but it's, it's challenging. And it's challenging because Jesus' request runs counter to what Peter thinks is right. You see, his first request was, I don't desire to do that. I'm too tired. I've got something else to do. But his second request goes against what he thinks. This, look, this isn't the way pros do it. I don't think this is right. It's, it's against the story that Peter has in his head. It's so difficult to be obedient to God's word, is it not, when it runs counter to what you think? When, when you run into God's word 
that's against your desire for you is that harder or when you run into God's word and it's counter to what you think is that harder it's different for different people but both very powerful tests and very simple tests here for Peter and for you can you give up what you desire to follow God's word? Can you go with what God thinks even when it's counter to what you think? Verse 5 here, critical word, but. It's like a little hinge that opens up a big door for Peter to a whole new world. It leads to one of his most important statements. But because you say so, I will might be a phrase that you just put on your prayer card because you say so i will just as i go through 2022 and all the craziness has happened just if you said it and i know you said it i'm going to go that way no matter how i feel or how i think because you said so i will some of you are facing this test right now And God is asking you to be obedient in a direction that is against what you think. It is against what you feel. And you need to have a little prayer at that moment that says something like this. But because you said so, I will. We all know what happens next. Peter rows out to the deep water. He lowers his nets. He gets the catch of a lifetime. He hits the lottery gets his partners to come with him and they're all looking at all this money pouring into their boat in this form of fish everybody's astonished and just at the end of hitting this fishing lottery peter's going to get his largest paycheck ever jesus gives him one more test one more chance for surrender peter will you leave all this behind and follow me oh why didn't you ask me back on shore when I didn't have all these fish to say no to. Now, right here, see, it's the third test. Peter, you see, you get lots of worldly abundance, but my question is, can you leave all that and follow me? Verse 11, they brought their boats to the land, left everything, and followed Jesus. And Peter was perfectly successful after that. Mm. <laughs> You see, this journey of surrender just keeps happening all the way through Peter's life. It's not, it's not a one time. And we'll notice that he has to surrender things that he thinks that he desires over and over again, just like you and I. So one last question here about you in 2022. If you're here and you're on a journey with Jesus, do you see it as a journey of surrender? Is there something he's asking you to surrender? That goes against your thinking, perhaps. goes against your desires, perhaps. But it's according to his word. See, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life so it goes well with you and your children. Your faithfulness as a father, as a mother, 
as a friend, as a parent, as a spouse, as a worker. Your faithfulness is going to unfold like an umbrella to those who are around you. And it's going to have a, a great effect, a great protective effect to the people around you. So choose life, not just for yourself, but for those that are around you. You notice in this picture, what other house is standing? The one right behind the big house, right? I mean, if you can't afford the big house, build behind the big house, right? And that's, that's see, you see your faithfulness, especially parents, do you see it? Your faithfulness is going to take a mighty blow. But if you can withstand, you're going to protect another generation. Will you trust his word? Let's pray. Lord, in the little shelter of this church, Perhaps uh, later this afternoon when it's pouring rain and we're in the little shelter of our home. Would we say to ourselves, we find our shelter in you alone? Not in any construction from anybody else or our own hands. You are our shelter. Would we trust in your word and walk in your ways? I pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.